Well, good morning, everybody. How are you guys doing today? Good. I, I feel like there's a little energy in here, which is odd after losing an hour of sleep. It's either that or we've all had a lot of coffee. I've had a lot of coffee, so I'm songs may be a little faster this morning. Um, you guys had a good week? Yeah? If you're joining us online, I hope you guys had a great week as well. Like, it's, been, it's just been, there's been sun. And uh, yesterday we hung out at, my, my family and I hung out at the park, just found a little grove of trees, and there was, there were so many birds singing songs, and it was like the perfect weather, a breeze coming through. It was one of those days where it was a little warm in the sun and a little chilly in the shade. It was like the perfect, the perfect space, and uh, it was good to get out and, uh, and not, not be home for a little bit. So I'm um, excited to worship with you guys this morning. Why don't we all stand up together? And uh, let's sing. Blessed be your name when I'm found in the plentiful. There you go. Where the streams of abundance flow. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name when I'm found, when I'm found in the desert place. Though I walk through the wilderness, blessed be your name. Sing every blessing, cause every blessing you pour out all turn back to praise. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name, Jesus. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your glorious name. Blessed be your name when the sun, when the sun's shining down on me, when the world's all as it should be, blessed be your name. Blessed be your name on the road marked with suffering. Though there's pain in the offering, blessing be your name. Sing every blessing, cause every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, blessing be the name. Blessed be your name, Jesus. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the glorious name you give. When you give and you take away, God, you give and take away. My heart will choose to say, Lord, bless. 
hard to say that, but it's, uh, it's one of those things that um, we've all experienced some form of loss, of some, some kind of loss in the last year, and I can't believe that we're actually talking about the pandemic being a year old, but it's a, uh, I've been wrestling with it the last couple of days of just realizing that we worship this amazing God. We worship this gigantic God, and it's easy to get distracted from that, from that moment, from that realization, from that space, to say, God, no matter what you throw at me, I have to remember that I worship an amazing God, and no matter whatever comes at me, you're still amazing. And uh, I don't want to lose that fact. So let's keep singing this morning. Bye. 
Go ahead and grab a seat. Hello? Can you hear me? Hey, hey, hey. Welcome. Thank you for joining us this morning. To all of us watching on YouTube and Facebook, hey, I have a YouTube, so I saw that we're actually streaming this morning. Facebook, uh, a little past my time. But hope you're there. Hope you're watching. Hope you're having fun. Wow. <laughs> um, <Wow>. so <laughs> we're not on TikTok or Snapchat or whatever. I'm missing out. Anyway, or um, so uh, we're glad to see some of our kids are still with us. Uh, we just want to encourage you to still bring your kids. Pastor Gary's uh, trying to make sure that the service is still applicable to you. You know, the Bible can be applicable to anyone in any stage of your life. So, uh, yeah, just want to encourage that you can bring your kids to service. We're trying to we're starting to rally our teachers and stuff to open the children's ministry. But until that happens, um, we still have our cry room available if you need to uh, take advantage of that and just get some quiet time. Um, But, yeah, we still encourage your kids to come. 
So we also have a lot of great things coming up here at SVC, and one of the best ways to stay connected is through our SVC app. Um, the simple app is a convenient place to check out all of our groups, uh, give a prayer request, and even to tithe. So, um, yeah, if you want to look up Solano Valley Church on either the App Store or Google Play, uh, that's how you can do it. And at SVC, we believe one of the best ways to grow is through our small groups. And nothing is better than the community you get through those groups. So whether you're brand new to following Jesus or you've been following him for years or you're just exploring what it means to follow him, um, we believe that intentional relationships that you find within a small group are really beneficial and um, that's the ideal place for you to connect and grow in the church. Um, we want you to find a place where you truly belong to celebrate the joys of life and to weather the storms together. And that's why community and connection is so important. So our groups are on a break right now, but there are lots of volunteer opportunities for you to plug into and um, make sure to just stay updated on that app. And you can check, you can press the serve button on the SVC app to stay plugged into all that. And then I want to remind you about the business meeting that's later today. It'll be um, after the church service at about 11:30. Um, we would really appreciate it if you stick around and attended that um, and do some of the important voting. Pastor Gary is going to share his missions or the vision for the year. And um, yeah, hope you stick around for that. And then right now we're going to continue our worship with our giving. Proverbs 3 encourage us to honor God with the resources he has entrusted to us. And as you give this morning, know that you're not only making eternal investments in God's kingdom, but you're also glorifying and honoring God by doing this act. So there are four ways you can give to the church. You can give online at solanovalley.org slash giving. Uh, you can tap give on our SVC phone app. You can send a check to 1307 Oliver Road, Fairfield, California, 94534. Or you can text give to 707-883-3019. And then you can also, oh, this is a fifth way, I guess. Um, you can also drop off um, anything in the silver slot we have in the back. If you're here. All right. So thank you so much for your rich generosity. And right now I'd like to hand it over to Pastor Gary to wrap up uh, his series, A Time for Renewal. All right. Thank you so much, Nathan. And sorry, sound team, for messing up the sound. So, whoops, you know what? Ow. Oh, that's pinching my fingers right now. Ah. All right. Can you see me on TV? No? Good. I, I don't want to look like an idiot for the whole world to see. Okay, just for those of you who are who are present, you know, if if you if you you know if you're back at home, you're watching this, you missed it. Okay, uh, I got to make a, a a fool of myself, pinching my fingers. Take the mask off. Oh, okay. All right, it's kind of hard. My hands are full. I'm trying to move a lot of stuff around. So, you know, I, I always forget to ask this. Uh, first of all, if you're with us through, uh, through Facebook or if you are with us through YouTube, I want to say, say a special hi to you. Uh, and then, Eric, I'm going to ask you, how much room do I have here? How much room do I have here? Okay. No, he's, he's just going to be here for just a moment. Okay. So, um, so real quick, uh, I want to take a moment. I want us to pray. And uh, I want to begin our prayer um, 
I want to pray about a couple different things if I can. Okay. And I want you to pray with me. So I'm going to be leading us in prayer. But as I'm leading us in prayer, I want you to be praying silently with me about these things. Uh, First thing that I want us to uh, come to the Lord about is uh, I really want us to come to the Lord with regards to Matt and Carolyn, the girls. So last night I got to spend a little time talking with Matt on the phone. And uh, let's see, Friday night he had to get a uh, a a transfusion uh, or infusion of blood platelets. Had to get another one last night and then this morning he had to get an infusion of blood. And just so you are... kind of aware that right now to the 24th of this month is going to be the most difficult season for Matt. So we really want to be praying for him. We really want to be praying for the family. Uh, Tamara, Carolyn's, uh, uh, they're going to be celebrating uh, the, the life of her dad. His funeral is going to be tomorrow. That's going to be 11 o'clock, which I think you can watch on Facebook. There's an invitation where you can be a part of that. So I want us to be in prayer for them. But also, right now, as I'm talking to you, my heart feels a little bit heavy just because I have felt, I have a friend of mine who doesn't know Jesus. And um, he's going through a real, real hard time. And, um, you know, my, my heart feels grieved for him because he doesn't know Jesus the way I know Jesus. But my heart feels grieved for him because of what he's facing right now and what he's experiencing. And my guess is right now that some of you, you have friends or you have family members that you're deeply concerned about. Maybe they don't know Jesus like you do, like I do. Maybe they're just going through right now one of the most difficult seasons that they've ever gone through in their life. But what these friends and these family members need, maybe the person who's really suffering today, maybe it's you. And so what we want to do right now is we want to come together, and I'm going to ask you to pray silently where you are while I lead us in prayer. As we pray for those of us who are hurting, as we pray for friends, family members uh, who may be going through a hard time right now, who may not know Jesus. So let's pray about that. God, today we want to worship you. We want to praise you. We want to thank you because you are great. You are awesome. You are holy, holy, holy. Uh, You are awesome in power. You are awesomely in charge of everything that happens in our lives. And God, sometimes we don't understand why we're facing what we're facing. Or we don't understand why someone we love is facing something that's really hard and really difficult. So God, right now I want to pray for Matt. I want to pray for Carolyn. I want to pray for Lauren and Katie. I want to pray for... uh, Uh, Carolyn's mom. I want to pray for Pat. I want to pray for Nan, uh, who have lost their their dad, their grandfather, um, Matt, who is right now in the hospital. Uh, God, I want to pray for my friend who doesn't know Jesus, who is facing something that's extremely difficult and really painful. And so, uh, Lord, I know there are others out there as well. And so what we want to pray is for those of our friends and family members who don't know Jesus, we pray, God, that they would encounter you. That you would save them. God, for our friends, our family members. 
for those of us who are facing challenging, difficult, painful circumstances, God, give us, give them the grace they need. And I ask you to do this in Christ's name and for your glory. Amen. All right. All right. So um, today we've been recently we've been studying through the book of Nehemiah. And today we're going to finish out that study. And what I'm going to do today is I'm going to read for you a longer text of Scripture than we would ordinarily read. And so with this, as I go into this, uh, I, I want to give you a little bit of context on the front end. And the context I want to give you is this, is that the nation of Israel was a chosen people. They had a covenant relationship with God. Now, we as a nation, America, uh, we have been founded as a nation on certain spiritual, biblical, Christian principles, but we don't have a covenant relationship with God, the kind of covenant that God made with Abraham and with his descendants. So we may stand by Christian principles, but the nation of Israel had a special covenant relationship with God. They were his people through whom God gave us the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ. And they are the people through whom God gave us the scriptures. And these scriptures relate not just to them, but they relate to all people. Because God, what God told Abraham in his covenant relationship is he said, Through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And so, yes, Israel had a special covenant relationship with God. And God blessed them, but it was through them that God intended to bless every nation. Now, as a special chosen people, God had told Israel to withdraw from foreign nations serving foreign gods. And this withdrawal was not to be a withdrawal based upon race. So in our world today, we should love people of all races, but they were instructed to withdraw from people who, foreign people who served foreign gods. Now, however, if someone of another race, so for example, the Canaanites, the Moabites, uh, the Midianites and others, if one of their people wanted to become a true follower of God, they were included in the community, the congregation of God's people or the nation of Israel. Examples of this, if you're reading through your Bible, recently some of you, you've been reading through the Bible, you read through the book of Joshua, and you read about a woman whose name was Rahab, who was a Canaanite. And she wanted to follow the way of God because she knew what God had done for Israel, saving his people out of Egypt. And so she was included in the nation of Israel. Another example of this, and many of you I know are reading through your Bible, you're using the, the uh, whatever it is, the Daily Walk Bible. I'm using it too. I just can't remember what it's called. Uh, but but you're, you're reading through it, and many of us yesterday read through the book of Ruth, uh, which talks about Ruth was a Moabite. She was from the land of Moab, and yet she wanted to follow the true God of Israel. And so she was included in that covenant community with them. So in this context, God had told Israel to withdraw from not all foreign people, but people who served foreign gods. Now, an example of someone who did not follow this example would have been uh, Solomon. Solomon was one, of the, was one of the wisest men on earth. 
And uh, what the Bible tells us about Solomon in 1 Kings 11, and, and I just want to give you this for context and then read the scriptures. The Bible says about King Solomon that he loved many foreign women. Uh, Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. And what the Bible says, they were from nations about which Israel had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because you will surely turn your hearts after their gods. And so there was a kind of intermarriage that God had forbidden. But it was not on racial lines. It was always on spiritual or religious lines. It was because they were only to, to marry with people who were true followers of God. Which, by the way, in the New Testament, the Bible instructs us that, that, uh, that we are not to be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. As a believer, if I were single today, it would be important that the woman I would marry would be a Christian. And that still applies for us in our world today. But I just wanted to give you this for context as we read this. Otherwise, it's really easy to misunderstand the teaching of God's word and its application. So Nehemiah chapter 13, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says this. On the day the book of Moses was read aloud in the hearing of the people, and there it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever be admitted into the assembly of God, because they had not met the Israelites with food and water, but had hired Balaam, a pagan prophet, to call a curse down on Israel. But our God, however, turned the curse into a blessing. When the people heard this law, they excluded from Israel all who were of foreign descent. This would be the ones who were serving, not just they were serving foreign gods. Verse 4. Before this, Eliashib, bad guy, okay? Bad guy. High priest of uh, the nation of Israel at this time, but bad guy. People can be religious, but they can be toxic. And that's what Eliashib was. Before this, Eliashib, the priest, had been in charge of the storerooms of the house of our God. That would be the temple. He was closely associated with Tobiah. Now, whenever I say Tobiah's name, you boo and you hiss. We already talked about this earlier in the series. Anytime I read the name of Tobiah, you boo, you hiss. Yeah, boo. There you go. Thanks, Rudy. Anytime you hear me read the name of Sam Ballot, you boo, you hiss. Okay? Bad guys. Bad guys. All right? So before this, Eliashib, the priest, had been put in charge of the storerooms of the house of our God. He was closely associated with Tobiah, the bad guy. Thank you. And he had provided him with a large room formerly used to store the grain offerings and incense and temple articles and also the tithes of grain, new wine and olive oil prescribed for the Levites, uh, musicians and gatekeepers, as well as the contribution for the priests. So what Eliashib does is he gives Tobiah, he gives Tobiah, he gives Tobiah like a, uh, I don't know, a, a penthouse suite, all right? Uh, the, 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 the nicest apartment in all of Jer- Jerusalem, at the very heart and center of all of Israel's activity and their worship. And Nobiah, or excuse me, Tobiah is actually living now in the temple. Uh, verse 6, but while this was going on, I was not in Jerusalem. Nehemiah says, I was not in Jerusalem. For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, which this would have been about 4, 
32 BC. Uh, in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I had returned to the king. Sometime later, I asked his permission and came back to Jerusalem. Here, meaning Jerusalem, here I learned about the evil thing Eliashib had done in providing Tobiah, providing Tobiah a room uh, in the courts of the house of God. I was greatly displeased and threw Tobiah's household goods out of this room. All right? You got this picture. You got this picture. Then Nehemiah comes into the temple. He finds Tobiah's belongings all there. And he just starts picking stuff up. And he starts throwing it out. Does it remind you of anybody else? Does it remind you of Jesus? Yeah, in, in the New Testament, we read about how Jesus went in to the temple. And he found the money changers there, merchandising religion. They were getting rich off of religion. And what Jesus did is he made a whip of cords and he began to drive those money changers out. Well, that's kind of what Nehemiah does here. He begins to, to throw Tobiah's stuff out. What verse am I on? Nine. Thank you. All right. Uh, so I gave orders to purify the rooms. That means they went in and sprayed everything with Lysol. I gave orders to purify the rooms. And then I put back into them the equipment of the house of God with the grain offerings and the incense. I also learned that portions, food, uh, provisions, the portions assigned to the Levites had not been given to them. And that all the Levites and musicians responsible for the service, uh, the temple service, had gone back to their own fields. So I rebuked the officials. Okay? He, he tells them off. I rebuked the officials. I asked them, why is the house of God neglected? Then I called them together and stationed them at their post. All Judah... The nation brought the tithes of grain, new wine, and olive oil into the storerooms. I put Shelemiah, good guy, the priest, Zadok, the scribe, and a Levite named Padiah in charge of the storerooms and made Hanan, son of Zakur, the son of Madaniah, their assistant, because they were considered trustworthy. So these are good guys. He gets rid of, uh, gets rid of Eliashib, and he brings in guys who are men of integrity to care for the temple. Uh, they were made responsible for distributing the supplies to their fellow Levites. Verse 14, Nehemiah prays. He says this, Remember me for this, my God, and do not blot out what uh, I have so faithfully done for the house of my God and its services. In verse 15, In those days I saw people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath. And bringing grain and loading it on donkeys together with wine, grapes, figs, and all other kinds of loads. And they were bringing all this into Jerusalem on the Sabbath. Now remember, God gave the nation of Israel a very special gift. He gave them the Sabbath day. It was, supposed to, it was intended to be a time to rest from your normal work. And it was meant to be a time for spiritual reflection. It was meant to be a time for spiritual rest. It was meant to be a time for worship. Okay? So uh, what they were doing is they were doing what was forbidden on the Sabbath. What verse am I at? 16? So people from Tyre who lived in Jerusalem were bringing in fish and all kinds of merchandise, and they were selling them in Jerusalem on the Sabbath to the people of Judah. 
I rebuked the nobles of Judah and said to them, what is this wicked thing that you're doing? Desecrating the Sabbath day. Didn't your ancestors do the same things so that our God brought all this calamity on us and on the city? Now you are stirring up more wrath against Israel by desecrating the Sabbath. So what had happened is God had given the nation of Israel a land to live in, the land of Palestine. God had given them a law to follow, a law that was meant to bring liberty to their lives, to bring good into their lives, to bring blessing into their lives. And God had given them a day, the Sabbath, a day for worship, a day for rest, a day for remembering God. But what had happened in, in, is the nation of Israel had desecrated the Sabbath over and over and over again for hundreds of years. And God sent prophet after prophet after prophet to the people of Israel and the land of Judah and telling them, encouraging them to to turn from their sin and return to God. But they refused to obey. And as a result, eventually, God sent the nation, the northern land of Samaria, the southern land of Judah, into captivity, into exile, uh, basically into like prison for them. that the northern kingdom to Assyria, the southern kingdom into Babylon. Verse 19. When the evening shadows fell on the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I ordered the doors to be shut and not open until the Sabbath was over. So basically it would have been Friday evening until Sunday morning. Okay. I stationed some of my own men at the gates so that no load could be brought in on the Sabbath day. Once or twice, the merchants, sellers of all kinds of goods, spent the night outside Jerusalem. So they come, they're expecting the gates to be open, and they're expected to be uh, ready for business on the Sabbath. Nehemiah says, but I warned them, and I said, why do you spend the night by the wall? If you do this again, I'm going to have you arrested. From that time on, they no longer came on the Sabbath. Then I commanded the Levites to purify themselves and go and guard the the gates in order to keep the Sabbath day holy. Again, uh, again, Nehemiah prays, the last part of verse 22. He says this. He says, remember me for this also, my God, and show mercy to me according to your great love. Verse 23. Moreover, in those days, I saw men of Judah who had, uh, who had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. These were pagan peoples serving pagan gods. Half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod or the language of other peoples and did not know how to speak the language of Judah. Now, why is that important? Because if you could not speak the language of Judah... You could not be instructed in the word of God. So what's at stake here is not simply they can't speak Hebrew, but what's at stake here is they cannot be instructed in the word of God. And one of the things that the people of God were supposed to do in Deuteronomy 6 is they were supposed to instruct their children, to instruct their children in what the law, the the scriptures teach, and they were to instruct their, their children in loving God with all their heart, soul, and mind, and to follow the teaching of God's word. But this wasn't happening. So they could no longer speak the language of Judah. Verse 25, I rebuked them, says Nehemiah, and called curses down on them. Now, that, this sounds kind of strange, curses down on them. In chapter 10, when the people of Israel, they made, they made, they took an oath. 
And they took an oath, and they also called themselves uh, under a curse if they did not keep the oath. And so probably the curse that Nehemiah is speaking of here is the very curse that people bound themselves under in Nehemiah chapter 10. So um, he says, I rebuked them and called curses down on them. I beat some of them in and pulled out their hair. Uh, I made them take an oath in God's name and said, you are not to give your daughters to marriage uh, to their sons, nor to take your daughters uh, in marriage uh, for your sons or, or, or for, for yourselves. Was it not because of marriages like these that Solomon, king of Israel, sinned? Remember what we talked about in the very beginning? How Solomon married many foreign women, and they led him astray in the worship of many foreign gods. And so he says, was it not because of marriages like these that Solomon, king of Israel, sinned? Among the many nations, there was no king like him. He was loved by his God, and God made him king over all Israel. But even he was led into sin by foreign women. Must we hear now that you too are doing all this terrible wickedness and being unfaithful to our God by marrying foreign women, meaning foreign women who worship foreign gods. One of the sons of Joida, son of Eliashib, the high priest, was son-in-law to Sambalat. Boo, hiss, okay? Um, uh, and so I drove him away from me. Verse 29, Nehemiah prays, remember them. Now, before this, every time that Nehemiah prays, he says, remember me. But now he says, remember them, my God, because they defiled the priestly office and the covenant of the priesthood and of the Levites. So I purified the priest and the Levites of every foreign, uh, uh, of everything foreign and assigned them duties each to his own task. I also made provision for contributions of wood at designated times for the first fruits. And then finally, one more prayer. Nehemiah says this. Remember me with favor or grace, my God. So <clears throat> let, me, um, let me pray real quick. And then I want to I talk with you about the central point in this text. And then I want to talk with you about some life points or application points for our lives today. Let's pray. God, uh, help us to humbly receive the word implanted. Help us to understand the meaning of the text in its original context, but also help us make the bridge from what it meant to them then to what it means for us now. And God, help us to be shaped by the teaching of your word. I pray this in Christ's name and for your glory. Amen. Amen. So real quick here. Uh, what's going on? Uh, I'll get into that in a second. Um, just curious, uh, anybody here ever do a marathon? Nobody? Okay. Uh, Elsa, did you do a marathon? What, way to go, man. I am proud of you, all right? I mean, uh, to do a marathon, that's like a huge deal, okay? Uh, anybody here ever ride a bike over 100 miles? All right. Rich? Yeah, that guy. I know he's done a lot. Brandon's done, I don't know, what's your longest ride? How far? 160? 160. I'm going to go ride my bike 161. So, just kidding. <laughs> well, I will. It'll just take me two weeks to get there. Um, so, I've done one, one century ride, over 100 miles. 
Uh, I don't know if any of you guys have ever watched like the Tour de France or you've ever watched people run a marathon. But oftentimes in long rides, what will happen, or in long runs, if you're watching a race, you'll see someone who goes off way ahead of everybody else. And they build up this huge lead that looks like nobody can overcome. And they'll get out, like in, in the Tour de France, they'll get out. Sometimes they'll be a couple miles ahead of the peloton um, uh, in front of the main group. And they're way out there, and you look and think, there's no way those guys can catch up. But I cannot tell you in how many times I have watched someone who's way out in front of everybody else slowly lose ground, lose ground, lose ground. And eventually, in that last mile, that peloton, that crowd catches up with them. And then you'll watch them just kind of slowly fade, disappear into the peloton. And then you'll see a group of guys who just, they jet out in front of everybody else, racing for the finish. The thing is this, in a bike race like that, or in a road race, a great start doesn't ensure a great finish. Okay? Just because a person gets off to a great start doesn't mean a person will have a great finish. In our spiritual lives, in our spiritual lives, a person can get off to a great start. They can. They can get off to a great start. They can make a commitment to Christ. They can make a vow that they're going to put away an old way of living and they're going to choose a new way of living. But over time, the person who gets off to a great start sometimes um, they don't have a great finish. In Nehemiah chapter 13, just for clarity, just for context and understanding, the people of Judah had gotten off to a great start. In, 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 in Nehemiah chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10, what we talked about last week, in chapter 8, uh, we begin to see the beginning of a time of spiritual renewal among the people of Judah. The people had a high regard for the teaching of God's word, chapter 8. The people confessed their sins and they worshiped God, chapter 9. And then, then in chapter 10, they made a commitment. They made a commitment under oath and under a curse. They made a commitment that they would follow all the teaching of God's word. Not just their favorite teachings, but all the teaching of God's word. Oftentimes, oftentimes, many people who call themselves Christians, they have their favorite commands of God, and then they have other things that they will disrespect or devalue because they don't like it. And this happens. This happens. And so what happens is there can be a, a compromise, a compromise. And, and in, chapter, in chapter 10, what the people of Jerusalem did and the people of Judah did is they, they committed themselves to obeying all of God's word, but they made a special commitment in three different areas. Now, why did they make a commitment in these three areas? I believe because it was three areas that they were prone to fall into sin in. The first thing that they committed to in chapter 10 is that they would not intermarry with foreign women and serve foreign gods. Secondly, they made a commitment that they would keep the Sabbath. They would keep the Sabbath holy. They would not go out and sell and buy on the Sabbath, but they would keep the Sabbath holy to God as a day for worship, a day for reflection, a day for rest. 
And the third thing that they committed themselves to is they committed themselves to caring for the temple. They committed themselves to caring for the temple servants, the Levites and the priests. But what happens when we get to chapter 13? Very fascinating. There are three times, three times that Nehemiah prays, remember me. Remember me. Now, there's one time where he says, remember them. But three different times he says, remember me, remember me, remember me. And each of those three times follows a a section where Nehemiah corrects the people of Judah because of compromise in their life. The first area of compromise is that they did not take care of the temple. They did not take care of the temple servants, the gatekeepers, uh, the Levites, uh, the priests. They didn't take care of them. Uh, in, in, in fact, Eliashib, the high priest, had, had put up Tobiah, gave him a special apartment in the temple. Yeah. Thanks, Rudy. Uh, the second thing, that, the second area of compromise is they weren't keeping the Sabbath. They weren't keeping the Sabbath. They were working on the Sabbath. They were not designating and setting a time as a time for worship and reflection. And, and so they began to desecrate the Sabbath. And then the third thing that they did, the third area of compromise, was that they, um, that they began to intermarry. They began to intermarry so that their children no longer spoke uh, the languages, uh, the language of the Hebrews, the language of Scripture. And uh, the, the children were in danger of falling away uh, entirely and completely from following God. In Nehemiah chapter 13, when the people of Judah did not follow through on their commitments, Nehemiah confronted and corrected their complacency and compromise, and then he committed his ministry and life to the mercy and the grace of God. Now, real quick, I want to make one point here, and then I want to talk to you about four life points or four application points for your life today. Okay, the, the, the first point, though, that I think is central to this text, and it is hugely important in church ministry of every church in our nation today and every church around the world today, is that when the people of God do not uh, follow through on their commitments. So when the people of Judah did not follow through on their commitments, Nehemiah confronted and corrected their complacency and compromise, and then he committed his ministry and life to the mercy and the grace of God. That's what we read in chapter 13. And I would say that what was true of Nehemiah then is true of every minister of God today. That when the people of God do not follow through on their commitments, the minister of God must confront and correct their complacency and compromise while committing his ministry and his life to the mercy and the grace of God. One of the hardest things I believe to do well as a pastor is confronting complacency and compromise. You know why? You know why that's hard? Because when you confront it, a lot of times people just go to the church across town. A lot of times people don't want to be confronted in areas of their life. Okay? That makes confronting complacency, that makes confronting compromise very difficult. But there's something else that makes confronting complacency and compromise difficult, and that's this. It's pride. It's pride. It's the pride of the pastor. Of somehow imagining that because God has given him a ministry, that he is somehow above other people. 
and we're not. That before we ever speak to another person about their complacency or their compromise, it is hugely important. It's hugely important that we are confronting it in our own lives. The other day, I was listening to a, a series of videos by different pastors talking about sermon preparation. And one guy told the story about an old preacher and a young preacher comes to him and he says, how long does it take to, to write a really good sermon? And the old preacher says, 75 years. 75 years. Why? Because that's about how long it takes for God to write his word on your life. If you're humble and you're listening to the word of God. Is the most important people. So, so what we've got to do is we've got to make sure that we are understanding the word of God. And we are under, under the word of God. And that we are obeying the word of God before we speak to anybody else about the condition of their soul. The hardest thing I have to do every week, and this is tough, because every week, week after week after week after week, you know, what Ezra did, this is what the Bible says about Ezra, not Nehemiah, but Nehemiah's buddy Ezra. The Bible tells us about Ezra. For Ezra, Ezra set his heart to study the law of the Lord. Now, that's a lot of what I do. For Ezra set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it. That's the hardest part. To study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach his ordinances uh, and statutes to Israel. And that's what the minister has to do. So, so confronting complacency and confronting compromise is extremely difficult. And especially, especially in the 21st century. In the 21st century, oh, there are so many different toxic versions of Christianity. There are. There are liberal theologies. There are legalistic theologies. There are redneck theologies. There are so many forms of toxic Christianity. And it's always easier for us to embrace and live in our own toxic theology while condemning all the others. And we've got to be careful, and we've got to beware. So the minister of God, when the people of God do not follow through on their commitments, the minister of God must confront and correct their complacency and compromise while committing his ministry and life to the mercy and grace of God. Real quick, real quick, four life points, four action points, four uh, uh, application points, how to put what we're talking about in the Word of God into your practice today. Number one, commitment without follow-through is compromise. Do you know that? Commitment without follow-through is compromise. When a husband, a wife, they commit themselves to one another, but then they don't live out that commitment, that is compromise. When we make a commitment to God and we don't follow through on that commitment, that is compromise. The commitment without follow-through is compromise. The, in, 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 in this text, when we read through Nehemiah, the people committed themselves to obey the word of God. They committed themselves to care for the temple. They committed themselves to uh, keep the Sabbath. They committed themselves not to, uh, to, to intermarry with the foreign people uh, who were worshiping foreign gods. But they didn't follow through. They made the commitment, but they didn't follow through. And so there was compromise in their life. There's always a tendency 
for all of us. See, in my life, there is uh, sin. And in your life, there's sin. Sin isn't just something all those people out there struggle with. It's something that every one of us experiences every day. If you have a capacity for a little bit of selfishness, you're sinful. If you have capacity for a little bit of pride, you are sinful. Now, some people, they come to God and they want to come to God and say, you know, you know they want to say, well, God, um, you know, I have a few bad things in my life, but I also have a lot of good things. That's how they want to come to God. This is what Jesus said. Blessed are the poor in spirit. By the way, the word poor there means absolutely destitute. It means naked, without food, without water, without uh, shelter. It means absolutely destitute. Blessed are those who are destitute, desperate in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of God. If we're coming to God saying, oh God, I just need you to forget the bad stuff in my life. The truth is, even the good things in our life oftentimes are done with not pure motives, with impure motives. And it's absolutely crucial. We come to this place where we recognize the brokenness of our own humanity, that we are spiritually bankrupt before God. I, I, there's nothing in my life that I can look to and point to you and say, this recommends me to God more than other people. That I am lost without Jesus. That's true for all of us. Is that that we we that, that for us because there's a tendency to drift because there's sin in our lives there's a tendency to drift into going through the motions of playing church instead of relentlessly pursuing God and because of this we need rhythms of renewal I'll talk about that more in a moment uh, this drifting God it, it can look like a, do, a lot of different kinds of things but I'm not going to go into that uh, right now so first of all commitment without follow follow through is compromise number two. A great, a great start in spiritual renewal. A great start in spiritual re- renewal does not guarantee a great finish. The, the, uh, the Jews of Judah and of Jerusalem, they got off to a great start in Nehemiah chapters 8, 9, and 10. It's interesting. I was listening to a guy really, is uh, uh, a Bible scholar, theologian, highly respected, brilliant, brilliant guy. Uh, but I was listening to him the other day uh, on this text, and it was real fascinating. Is is he talked about um, is uh, with, with regards to um, spiritual renewal, and uh, in, in talking about this text, he said it's real interesting. He said when you read Nehemiah, when you read Nehemiah, he says you you get to chapter twelve. And you kind of wish that the book uh, ended at the end of chapter 12. Because at the end of chapter 12, there's a high note. You know, everybody's worshiping. Everybody's praising God. They're celebrating over the, the they're, they're celebrating because the wall is finished. You kind of wish that Nehemiah finished there. I, I don't know if you've ever listened to a song like a fantastic song. But then it ends with a note. That's completely wrong. Or you know, whoever's singing the song intentionally leaves off the very last word. You're like, oh, this isn't right. You know, it's a beautiful song, but it doesn't finish the right way. And that's the way we come to Nehemiah. But there's a point in this. Is that God wants us to see that 
A great start in spiritual renewal does not guarantee a great finish. That spiritual renewal withers where there is complacency and where there's compromise. We've got to see that. If we want to see spiritual renewal in our lives, we want to see it in this church, we want to see it in our nation, we need to understand that a great start in spiritual renewal, a great start in following Jesus, does not guarantee a great finish. Number three, where there's complacency and compromise, there needs to be confrontation and correction. This is what Nehemiah does with the people. So what is that What is that confrontation and correction look like? So two texts of Scripture. I'm going to read them for you real quick. Don't have it on a slide. So I'll just ask you, you can write a little note on this. One is Galatians 6.1. What does confrontation look like? Uh, sometimes it doesn't look like uh, a hard confrontation. It looks like uh, it looks very different. Sometimes it looks like this. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught literally ensnared in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Restore means to set the bone. Okay? You should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. So sometimes the way of confrontation is a way of tenderness. It's a way of being, you need to be very gentle, you need to be very humble. But sometimes, sometimes this confrontation and this correction has to be done with a hard edge. Okay? Has to be done with a hard edge. Let me give you an example. First Timothy chapter 1, verses 19 through 20. Paul is writing to a young man, Timothy. We, we looked at this text, I don't know, three months ago, four months ago, six months ago, something like that. But we, when we were doing our study of 1 Timothy, uh, we, we went through this. But, but what Paul told Timothy, he says, hold on to the faith. That's what he tells Timothy. Hold on to the faith. Don't let go of it. Hold on to the faith. Don't just get off to a, a, a good start, but, but finish strong all the way to the end. Hold on to the faith. Hold on to the faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected. And so have suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. They got off to a great start, but they had a terrible finish. And, and Paul says this, Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. Meaning that he put them out of the church. He said, guys, you can't come back. You're not coming back here. You're not coming back. Because what you are doing is so toxic. What you are doing is so destructive to the body of Christ. We cannot allow you to come back. If you come back again, you're going to damage this body of believers, these followers of Jesus. And there's a time where confrontation has to have a hard edge. Now, in our culture today, that doesn't sell well. doesn't sell well. But it's what the Bible teaches. So where there's complacency, where there's compromise, there needs to be confrontation and correction. So how do we know when it's supposed to be gentle and when it's supposed to have a hard edge? And I think what we do is we follow the way of Jesus. Matthew chapter 18. If your brother or sister sins against you, go to them just between you and them. If they listen to you, you've won your brother. If they don't listen, what does Jesus say? 
then go with one or two other people, that there may be two or three witnesses. If they don't listen to you, then bring it before the church. So in our church context, it would come before the elders. And if somebody is doing something that's really destructive to the body of Christ, false teaching, we have a, we have a, uh, we have a, a conversation with that person. We give them the opportunity to repent. Uh, and typically what happens is they choose to, they feel a sudden calling from God to go to another church. But they take the problem with them. They take the problem with them. And then they go to another church. And they take the problem with them. And then they go to another church. They take the problem with them. Then they go to another church. And at the end of their lives, they have nothing to show. Because they weren't willing to receive it. Where there's complacency and compromise, there needs to be confrontation and correction. Finally, number four. The work of the Christian minister, and here I want to emphasize, because I think some of you, when you hear a Christian minister, you're thinking about me. Or you're thinking about Matt. Or maybe you're thinking about one of our elders or one of our ministry team leaders. But the Bible says that all of us are ministers of God. That every one of us has a ministry from God. And God wants to be faithful in that ministry. When the work of the Christian minister begin or the work of the christian minister whether pastor or lay person begins and ends with prayer in first timothy or excuse me in nehemiah chapter one when paul excuse me i'm sorry i was talking about paul a moment ago timothy now i'm all messed up in nehemiah chapter one when nehemiah hears about the condition uh, of the people of judah of the jews that what does he do the bible says that he invested himself in in fasting and praying for them for days. And what, uh, and at the end of this book, at the end of this book, Jason, I'm going to go ahead and call you on up. At the end of this book, what, Jay, or what, what Jason does, no, what Nehemiah does, is again, he prays. He prays. And this time he's praying, uh, he prays this in chapter 13. Remember me for this, my God, and do not blot out what I have so faithfully done for the house of my God and its servants. He says, God, I've done the best I can. I've done the best I can, the best I know how to serve you. At this point in time, this ministry of Nehemiah had extended over possibly 20 years, maybe longer. We're not real sure. And so he says, remember me for this, my God. Do not blot out what I have so faithfully done for the house of my God and its services. He prays this, remember me for this also, my God. And show mercy to me according to your great love. And then finally he finishes in prayer. He says, remember me with favor, my God. You know, a great start, whether it's a bike race or whether it's a marathon, uh, a great start doesn't guarantee a great finish. And a great start in following Jesus, a great start in a time of spiritual renewal does not guarantee a great finish. There has to be integrity. There has to be follow-through. This is what we need, uh, what we need to do, is we need to be able to build into our lives rhythms, rhythms of renewal. That we need to build into our lives rhythms of renewal. What I mean by that is beginning and finishing each day in prayer. 
What I, I mean is to, to take time daily, not just to pray that God will fix all that stuff out there, but God examine this stuff in here. God, help me examine my heart, how I've interacted, how I've spoken about other people, how I've interacted with other people, my wife, my children, my husband, my children, my parents, my brothers, my sisters, my neighbors, the people I work with, the people who work for me. Examine my life, God. And where there's sin, there needs to be humble repentance. But we need rhythms of renewal where we're daily coming to God, reflecting, repenting, and then rejoicing in God's forgiveness. That we need rhythms of renewal as in the Old Testament, the people gathered on uh, the day, the Sabbath, as a time for reflection from hearing from God's word, a time for worship. That we as followers of Jesus in our Christian Sabbath, the first day of the week, the day our Lord was resurrected, coming together as families, coming together as individuals, coming together as one great big huge family to Rest in the presence of God, knowing that we are saved, not by our good works, but by the good work of Jesus. That we come, that we rest, we reflect, we repent where we need to repent, then we rejoice in our salvation and we worship God. Let's pray. God, you are great. You are awesome. You are awesome. You're a grace, your mercy. You are awesome and your holiness. God, we want to worship you. We want to exalt you because you are God Almighty. You are the God of gods, Lord of lords, King of kings. You are awesomely in charge of all of your creation. And so, God, we want to worship you. And we want you to reign in our lives. And I pray this in Christ's name and for your glory. Amen. Yeah.
Amen. Amen. You guys, thanks for coming out this morning. Thanks for joining us online, and uh, we will see you next week.